Hello, and welcome back to USBR Guest Cybersecurity Tips. I'm Theo, here to help you break down cybersecurity news and hacks and how they affect you. However, today, I'm interviewing Tagora, an L3 system administrator and senior technical leader with technical responsibilities for networking, Linux, and HPC. We recorded the interview in an open Discord channel with video while monitoring chat with text-to-speech developed by Security Live. While this time I had his volume lever closer to mine, the music wasn't low enough in some parts. Tagore became fascinated with computers at an early age. He funded his education enlisting in the Army, pursued and obtained multiple degrees, taught and then pivoted into career uh, in IT. He has an excellent point of view regarding work effort, stepping out of your comfort zone, and shares excellent tips on getting started on your path and interviewing. Also, I send people, I interview a list of questions to answer. Uh, Tagora did that and then so much more. He offered well thought and candid answers and offered uh, me tell, uh, to post it as well. So you'll find the document listed on the episode page on my GitHub. Uh, this is a little bit longer than my normal format, so feel free to speed it up um, in parts. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hey, hey, Tugor, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, there we go. Um, say, um, hold on real quick. Yep, just say anything. Anything. Yep, okay. Uh, one time I did one of these interviews and <laughs> I had the guy so low uh, for the recording on OBS, uh, but it was fine in my ears because I was listening because I had a different mic setting for Discord. Uh, I had to go through and I had to find some wonky uh, equalizer uh, to bring my voice down and to bring his voice up. It was a mess. All right, uh, I am. Uh, I'm going to get a thing of uh, water real quick and some coffee, and then uh, we can jump into it. Leo says. Oh, I just caught. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, uh, I can. I'm just going to share like what's going on in the the basement. Yeah, that's so, fine. It's a hot mess down here. Whatever. It's it's yeah. I anything outside of frame is is like uh, a a bomb of like chairs and pillows and uh, and books on shelves. So yeah, you're good. Yours looks good, man. Uh, I'm gonna hide about video participants. Can't so, worried face. There we go. Uh oh, what flavor there? You got is that ghost? That's uh sour pink lemonade. Sour it's, pink. It's uh, hard lemonade. to find around here. My my kid drinks that's ghost. A, yeah, it's that's a rough one to find. Sour pink I, lemonade? Uh, yeah, people that I work with com complain about uh, Ghost as a product because they say that 
it makes it, them feel like their skin crawls for some don't reason. To me, sis. I, I don't know if that's like this a common thing or whatever. I guess I'm just used to it because I drink like <laughs> boatloads of caffeine. <laughs> yeah, you'll have that. Hmm. I've had energy drinks before. Water. I don't think it make uh, my skin crawl, but no, let me grab it now. Um, I'll be right back. All right. Chat, be nice to Tagora. That literally means nothing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chad, it's time to take over stream. Oh, wait, he's coming back. You better be nice to us. Uh, yeah, if you guys got any, uh, any sort of questions to get started i can i can see uh twitch chat so i can respond to anything that's going on here but you guys have probably seen me around leo says the stream is your no the stream is mine nice <clears throat> that I had written down. Master Blaster says, No questions, ATM TBH. But I think Theo bailed on you. Kappa. Translated I kind of don't want to get started with the, uh, the interview, interview portion of the thing until... Uh, until he's back, so you know he's he's got it recorded for his um, his podcast. <laughs> Theo, Theo did bail on me. <clears throat> Don't listen to me, says. Are you Mary? Yeah, I'm. Master Blaster says, Am I married? Uh, no, I'm not. It seems really married. cold where you are. As you can tell from the the basement, that looks a lot like, um, you know those like 1980s um, computer like guy basements Cannon where Cole. there's just like CRT monitors hanging from the ceiling and stuff like that. That's that's kind of what my basement looks like. If I was to pan the camera around Don't to see to the rest says. of the basement, you would see like. Love it computers off in that corner and a computer behind me and monitors everywhere uh just like strewn computer parts all over the floor and black bins of cabling and all kinds of other stuff here in the background <laughs> no but i'm i'm not married i'm i've been divorced since uh it's been almost 20 years I think since I've since I've been divorced, like I got married super young, and then Master I, Blaster says, I found out that it was not for actually, me, or at least really that that person game. was not for me. But I dig it. <clears throat> Ajuku says, but in those cases, there's more stuff and pizza boxes. Don't listen to me, says. Pizza boxes. Jeez, how no, old are you? I've got one pizza box. You look like 35. I'm, I'm generally like in the the basement man cave. I'm generally. Um, Clean but messy. Mio I look 35. Says, Thank you. Do you stream for 7H30? 
I appreciate that. I'll get into my, um, to like more biographical details once I get started with Theo, once he, uh, grabs some water and comes back. I want to make sure that he's sort of recording for posterity. I think some of the, the interviews that he's doing are, are like a really good idea. And, um, to some extent we can start to capture some of this stuff and, and, uh, people who want to go back and like listen to um i think it's kind of opinion work but it's grounded in an experience <clears throat> so let me think here um let's see I can give a little bit of background and, and then we'll uh, put it on repeat whenever Theo gets back. But my <clears throat> my role and what you'll see at the, the bottom of my stream by biographical information is um, essentially that I am working as a system administrator, but um, an L3 system administrator and senior technical lead. So I do a whole bunch of um, on you. work administrating like servers and systems. I'm a server owner for at least a, two streamer. Linux servers where I work in a production environment. And on top of that, I have a sort of managerial leadership role where I, um, I basically- like, I got coffee and snacks, but I'm not sharing. <laughs> I manage a, a team of uh, service desk technicians, a bunch of like nice. entry-level technicians. So, um, that's part of the reason why I think Theo wanted to get me on to interview is to talk about what it takes to get into the industry, and I'm I'm all for having that conversation because so I would me, I would love to see better interviewees. Yeah, agree. That's um, that's precisely why. Uh, yeah, and so I, I kind of put off uh, some of the biographical information so that I knew that you had hit the record button or whatever you intend to do on your side. <laughs> uh, I just got to make a... Uh, uh, I'm going to kill uh, Zoop here. If you're still over there on YouTube, if anyone says anything, let me know and I'll open it up. But to save a little bit of computing power, I'm going to kill YouTube. Um, that Discord okay. closed. Uh, I need to do a marker. Theo, I think it's more useful if you turn off TTS and just read the questions if you see them. I, I, I know, Master Blaster, I hear ya. I think I'm gonna let TTS roll. I, I really liked how it went last time. Um, it was a little bit of a of a distraction, um, but I can pause it if I if I if a good question comes through, and then we can we can uh, talk about it. Um, I just, I've, I've been thinking about this a few times and there's just not a medium out there that does this. Uh, a lot of podcasts are, you know, some dusty old farts I'm included where they're just, they're just talking heads. They're just talking heads right and they're, <laughs> okay. They're just talking heads and they're, you know, they, they like hearing each other talk. Um, I, I, I like this medium, so but I appreciate your input. Yeah. Yep. Good. I've got I've got chat pulled up here, and okay. I'm 
I'm gonna kind of answer some of the questions that, says, uh, that you put off, um, and Leo simultaneously says, I'll just watch chat, and if I need to like, pause and respond, I'll, I'll do that, because I, I feel the same way that you do about some of these uh, old farts and podcasts, like it's it's not as interactive as it probably should be, Yeah, uh, given what we're trying to do. Agree. Okay, uh, then we could start anywhere. Let me grab, uh, let me grab your O. Oh, the questions I gave you, I put in. Um, I, they should be the same for. Um, hold on, I'm getting my brain right. This should be good for what I put in uh, my notes too. This should be the same. Yep. Okay, I don't need that. All right, first question: up. time zone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you are in a time zone. Um, we talked about voice uh, TTS, and um, so I know this is a little bit behind the scenes or whatever, but uh, I did um, Zug's uh, interview uh, in Minecraft, which was 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 pretty funny. Uh, we just decided yeah, to go to the the, uh, the the video uh, way this uh, this time, and we're using Discord to do that. Yeah, if I could, if I could make an avatar on short notice, I would have. But I had a million other things <laughs> going on. Yep. No, you are good. Don't even worry. There we go. Okay. Um, so, who you are? Um, your background, as much or as little as you're comfortable with. Uh, location, age, uh, previous jobs. Uh, you went. You uh, thank you for all the information you provided in the Discord. You can go over as much or as little of it as you as you want to, Tuara. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Leo had says, a few questions while we're waiting on you to get water. So I am. I'm not 35. I'm 41 years old. I'm 42 this year. Getting up there. Um, <laughs> Uh, I started in IT when I was like super, super young. I was 13 years old, I think, when dial-up internet first became a thing. And we had a computer that was like for the family. And I basically co-opted it as my own. Uh, back then, we were getting into things like uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert and Westwood Chat and things like that. The early days of the internet where... Uh, basically the only important information about you that you would post in any chat that you would go to is uh, age, sex, and location. Yep. That's, yep. that's the first question that everybody uh, popped off with on the internet. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> so what did you have for that chat? Like so a lot of people started with uh, IRC, uh, some people with yeah, web, so what did you? IRC was a, a big one and, uh, and Westwood chat. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, I had a couple of opportunities as I was graduating high school. I was uh, I, I was super poor growing up. I still feel that way in, in some regards, and I identify sort of as a poor person, but I've gotten more sort of like comfortable later in life. Mm -hmm. um, we'll we'll get into that, but yeah. Um, I had a, an opportunity, some opportunities to go to college right out, but those opportunities basically involved me going, um, going into debt, and I knew nothing about debt at that point. Like mm -hmm. student loans or loans generally was, were just completely foreign to me, and so as a, a member of a family of five, I had expected some uh, help going to college. My parents had basically said, "You need to go to college. You need to go to college. You need to go to college." But as poor people, we never talked about money. Yeah. 
Um, and then it came time to go to college and we started having conversations about money and they were asking me how I was going to pay for it. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean. That's an excellent question. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. Uh, different times, right? Yeah. Um, so, so basically I started off my IT career uh, going up to the MEP station, the military entrance processing station, taking a, a really long test and joining the U.S. Army as an enlisted person. Um, I asked for a job working with computers and they gave me a job working on computer networks. Um, the available jobs working on computers has expanded dramatically since like 2000, 2001 when I enlisted, but I basically joined as a computer networking technician. And that's where I got my start. I worked for eight years in the U.S. Army. I joined the Army for the GI Bill. Um, okay because I couldn't afford college. Um, and, 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 and that bankroll, and that helped fund your, your, your college education was you decided to go the military route and, and, and you would uh, offer your service and, uh, and they would uh, provide money for, for uh, a, a university. Yeah, and, and that, that has expanded dramatically since I joined. So the GI Bill was like $23,400 when, um, when I first joined, yeah. which by the time I got out, it would co cover like one year of school. <laughs> That's uh, wild. And then they had expanded it to uh, this post 9-11 GI Bill, which just pays for everything. Tuition, fees, books, housing, the whole whole shebang. Wow. And so I got four years of fully funded um, education out of that. And, and what did, I need to get bigger. And, and what did that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what did that? What did that cover for you for your under? Did that was that one degree? Was that one of your uh, under or your, whatever they call it undergraduate or? So, so I I did a whole bunch of tuition assistance while I was in the military. I was taking. Um, undergraduate courses while I was in had finished basically three quarters of a bachelor's degree by the time I was in so when I got out and um, I went to study at Arizona State University in Tempe um, when I got out I um, started studying biology at the time I was interested in biology and medicine and and I had found some interesting niche intersections with like tele telemedicine at the point that I was like getting out of the military and uh, and basically getting into getting into college. But the GI Bill paid for um, it paid for all of my bachelor's degree and the the first master's degree. Um, okay. I'll get in. I'll get into this whole like degree situation later. Okay. I've got my own uh, opinions uh, about how that should work. Um, but I I have a, a ton of experience in networking. I spent a I won't let this this pass by unsaid. I spent about a good portion of my time as a paratrooper. Um, I was deployed overseas to Afghanistan. I spent time in South Korea, and then I finished up working. Um, for the secure switchboard at the White House Communications Agency for the last four years, where I served for uh, two uh, presidential administrations, the uh, George Bush administration and um, Barack Obama's administration. Uh, um, th that, that's amazing. Uh, off the rip, before it gets by me, uh, thank you, Tagora, for your service. <clears throat> yeah, you can buy me a beer. 
<laughs> yes, yeah. Tagore. That's how yeah. it usually goes. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for your service. Can I buy your beer? <laughs> yep, yep. You got me. Um I, I owe you one, so um yeah, so so at the intersection of health and medicine, that's sort of where I went with uh, for my undergrad degree, I uh, spent a lot of time um, trying to settle in and figure out what I wanted to do for the degree plan. I thought at the time that like I needed to study biology in order to, to uh, be pre-med. And mm -hmm. so I, I kept studying biology for a while and then I settled on a degree called biology and society, which is this intersection between like history, biomedical yes, yes. ethics, and biology I was at the, the time when I was uh, studying there. And so I did that. I did a degree on the history and philosophy of um, biology and specifically the history of autism when I was studying for my master's degree there at Arizona State University. Um, went on to get a second master's degree, a master's of arts in history and philosophy of science from the University of Toronto. And then uh, came back to the States and spent a lot of time studying for my PhD, at which point like 2017 kind of hit. Okay. And there is a lot, a lot of stuff politically in the world that was going on that made me sort of like have a crisis of faith in what I was up to. And that caused me to, to exit the sort of academic world that I was siloed in at the time and enter into a new sort of career field for me. Um, it was at this like intersection of teaching or education and uh, information technology, which I was quite good at. No matter how much time, how much time and effort I had spent away from technology, I had kept getting drawn back in by it in numerous ways. Um, <laughs> and talk about that extensively, but okay. Um, I had always been sort of drawn back into IT, no matter how my life had life and career had pivoted in different directions. Um, so I continued working in the PhD program for and my PhD different dissertation for a while. I was all but dissertation, so I was basically writing a book uh, at the time that I had exited, and I continued working on that for like one year while I was um, an IT instructor, a career tech instructor um, here in Southwest Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, and then in twenty. 18, late 2018 is basically when I exited that PhD program, um, and I basically just focused full time on teaching and uh, how to become a, a good educator at that point. And I'd I had worked on, I was taking courses towards a master's degree at the point that I had exited, so I was working on a master's in education at that point. Um, got pretty good at that. I still teach um, on the side as a as an adjunct professor at the University of Cincinnati. Continue to teach young people Go Bearcats. like system administration. Yeah. This is this is your alma mater, isn't it? It is, but for my <laughs> masters, that's where I got my masters from. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, so um, you so you're adjunct teaching there, right? Yeah, so okay. I'm, I'm adjuncting here in uh, in the spring, so I started the second week of January, teaching uh, sysadmin again. Cool. Um, so yeah, while I was teaching, I, I taught through COVID-19. The, the year after like COVID-19 started to settle and we got back into things again, like, you know, the world was starting to settle. So late in October in 2022, um, 
basically like I was reached out to by a recruiter via LinkedIn and the recruiter had basically said, Hey, are you interested in, in, uh, interviewing for these, this role that we have. And they had like two different roles that they were interested in interview, interviewing me for. So I, I interviewed for two different roles. One was a, a senior systems engineer deploy. And then the other one was like a system administrator level two. So interviewed for the first position, the senior sysadmin position. And they, they basically said, ah, oh, you're not really what we're looking for. I interviewed for the L2 sysadmin and they're like, all right, we'll hire you there. Um, essentially, I guess I didn't interview well. <laughs> I, I might interview well. I might interview better now, nowadays right. after I've like spent a lot of time interviewing other candidates and I realize what interviewers are looking for. Okay. Um, and so I ended up getting hired on as an L2 system administration. I went through several months just kind of like sitting around waiting. I was in this like period of time where um, I'm waiting on a security clearance and there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on around me. I had spent two and a half months basically just sitting in a chair, like doing nothing but studying. <laughs> uh, like I got three certifications before I hit the, the chair in, in the office where I work. Jeez. So once I could actually get to the point where I could start training for the job, they're like, okay, so you're, you're just getting a bunch of certifications. All right. That's nice. And that's good. They give you that kind of, yeah, that kind of flexibility to, to get that, uh, uh, education. Well, that does cert to go after the certification. So seems it like a good a, place. It was a sort of a management concern for me. Like I, I guess after I had started in my management role, that was, that was one of the places where I was like looking to make an effect because okay. there were several people who would come work for our company and, until they got their um, in initial interim security clearance, they couldn't do anything. Um, oh. And it's not true that you can't do anything be because I make people do things now. <laughs> I figured out like what they could possibly do within the environment and I just put them to work. Okay, right. Because <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing worse than like starting at your new job and being told uh, you can't really do your job for, until you get your interim security clearance. So you're just, you're just going to sit here. That's interesting. <laughs> How come? Well, that's a, that's a good question. How come? I mean, what do you think the problem was? How come they didn't realize that they could still be having people do things within the organization without uh, having these 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 clearances? What do you think the hiccup was for them? I think it's one of those things where um, when people are managing teams, it's especially if people are are like a little bit younger and can't think outside of the box or can't think creatively about what their job is they they leave a lot unquestioned right okay. so if you've got a bunch of laborers like sitting there and they're just starting their job they there's nothing worse than starting a new job and like having no purpose in life mm -hmm. like feeling like you don't have a role there but like you're not contributing and have no value the last thing that you want to do is like lose that advantage that you get as an employer when somebody starts on and they're excited about their new role. Yep. Like that's advantageous to you. And we we continually lost that in every employee that started because they would sit around for uh, at minimum a week. You know, sometimes young people take a, a week to get their security clearance and mm -hmm. then, you know, up to three months. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, and, and, and thank you for that oh, perspective on it, 
too, because it, it's a good it, it 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 gives people the the understanding of that when they get into a new organization that there's going to be things like that that happen. Uh, so thank you for that perspective. So Master Blaster said, uh, did you meet any famous hackers slash industry leaders from the hacking world? Uh, I don't think so. No, like most of my experience has been uh, split between um, academia and different sectors of academia, mostly like history and philosophy of science worlds. And in the military, I spent a good time, a good amount of time, like on the networking side of things. Mm -hmm. So if I was going to enter interact with anybody who is like remotely famous it would have been uh, somebody on on that side of things the sort of computer networking or like voice over ip telephony side okay. of things that makes sense um it was only very recently in the last it's probably since 2018 that i even sort of like looked at hacking as as the kind of interesting and cool space that it is like a way that you can learn really deeply about how computers work and how how to break them mm -hmm. um and i think i find a lot of value in that not just in cybersecurity, but like in doing systems work generally like uh, if you understand how you know tc the, the full tcp ip stack works that's really good for you as a sysadmin mm -hmm. and i I value junior sysadmins a lot, like very greatly when they, they have those sorts of skills. And so uh, when you're doing try hack me and hack the box, understanding how computers communicate, how two computers communicate across the network is extremely important <laughs> for not just like, how do I get into the system? But also like, how do I make sure that two systems can talk together on the sysadmin side of things? Very cool. That's encouraging to hear from me because I'll I'll often say that if you know how they work, if you know how the computer, if you know how it's built, if you know how the the protocols communicate, then you know where the weak points are to look to to exploit them. So, uh, yeah, that's encouraging to hear. Thank you for me. That was all um, about me. <laughs> but yeah so the the last part of the the bio that i'll just sort of mm -hmm. put off here is after i'd started the job and spent you know a good amount of time working as a l2 sysadmin <laughs> essentially they had um three level roles within sysadmin l1 l2 and l3 the l1s had a definite role they reset passwords they interact with users they go desk side and do support they are the first line of defense they handle the service desk tasks L3s are server owners and they handle like huge problems within the environment, the stuff that's really difficult to solve. L2s are no man's land. You essentially have L1s that will escalate tasks directly, and this was a, a problem when I started too, but they would, um, they would escalate tasks directly to the L3s because they were the problem solvers. And the L2, like no man's land, there's a, a big swath of guys that were hired on all at the same time to be l2 system administrators and we all found ourselves doing the same sort of tasks like do the audit work or find stuff to do okay and so um for four four months straight essentially every tuesday during a week our our um, information assurance group would pass down what they called the audit right mm -hmm. and there are a set of tasks to complete. There were like five different pages of the, this audit. Sometimes there were thousands of lines 
of things that we'd have to like go and check up on, like computers that weren't connected, uh, vulnerabilities that needed addressed, you mm-hmm. name it, right? Um, but the first week that I did it, I, I was just trying to get a sense for like how it worked. How does this audit work? What are they looking for and why? By the second week, uh, I was thinking to myself, okay, this is kind of humdrum. How can I script this? By the third week of that month, I had boiled down the entire audit that was thousands of lines long into a scripted form. And I would run the script as soon as the thing hit on Tuesday. And within like five to 15 minutes of uh, starting the thing, I'd be finished, right? And all of a sudden I found myself with a, a week's worth of time to kill doing God knows what, right? right? And so you can look at this two ways. I'm gonna like do the audit and just sit around for four and a half days and do nothing. Or I can do the audit and try to find other places that I can learn about how the environment works and how I can make a difference in it. And this is the critical point that that I need to get across as, mm-hmm. as a sort of manager of people. Like you need to find ways to prove your value in order to advance. And this is where I was like super, super um, timely about this. I would... I noticed that in the environment we were doing a couple of different upgrades of major systems at about the point that I had started and I was also really good at like scripting tasks that needed to be done. If I uh, had figured out that one thing needed to get accomplished regularly within the environment, I would ask, all right, so how do I do this thing 700 times? Right. So scripting is incredibly important because like if you find yourself doing software installs, great. But like what if 700 software install tickets come in all at the same time? Mm -hmm. Can you handle that? Right. And presumably we can handle it if we just have to script it. And so I got really good at batch, bash, PowerShell and Perl kind of all at the same time when I was working. Um, And this became super important once we did a sort of major system upgrade because everybody had lost access to some software that they didn't have, environmental variables that weren't set correctly, you name it. I developed a sort of a suite of generalized scripts that I would use to solve major problems whenever we did our upgrade. And this took me from like a position where I was an L2 system administrator, like just starting to this guy knows his shit. He needs to be, he knows how to solve problems no matter what the problems are. He needs to be a, an L3 mm-hmm. system administrator. And also he knows how to think about things in advance. We need to put him in charge of our service desk so they can, he can get ahead of problems. So like both of those things happen sort of simultaneously around March this year. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've fit the bill as, as far as that's concerned. Like, yeah. you know, they, I'll typically like get ahead of my my manager's ask about um, what sort of things that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So like I never I never want to put my manager in a place where they're asking me to do something that I wasn't I wasn't aware of myself and that I'm not already on top of. Okay. Um, 
that's an important thing like once you advance beyond entry level and get to the point where you know you're starting to take on roles and responsibilities for yourself uh to the extent that something lies in your lane that you're responsible for and you're supposed to be in charge of you never want to be in the position where your boss comes down and blindsides you with something that you're supposed to be responsible for okay and so i've always been like the kind of guy that like by the time my boss asked me to do something i'm way ahead of him i'm like weeks ahead of whatever the ask is whatever he was yeah um, mm -hmm. and i i think that's par for the course for what it means to be an effective leader just always be always anticipate the ask for what your boss is looking for okay i have a couple i have a couple follow-up there when you were when you're talking about that because um uh, so you you answered the one scripting language pearl bash was there another one was there a third one in there so pearl bash batch batch he's professionally proactive batch. what is anybody who's worked at windows command line knows batch okay so the dot bat file or batch files okay and uh powershell 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 is incredibly incredibly important and and powerful a, i mean it is yeah it, if you work in a windows active directory environment mm -hmm. powershell is powershell is very very important it's okay. how we can it's how i can as a sysadmin basically like get into other people's computers as they're using them do a whole bunch of work on their computer and get things done without them ever realizing I was there. Wow. And it also makes it so I have to take fewer steps in the day. Like our building is pretty big and I'm very lazy. <laughs> so so essentially you're you are yes, you're feeding your laziness by not leaving your desk to do shit on other the people's smartest, computers. The smartest sysadmins <laughs> you never see walking around or like wearing heelys rolling across the, the building. No, you see them you, you don't even see them. You don't know that they're there. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, I just installed this software for you. And it's like, how? <laughs> it's done, how bro. Do Moving that? on. Questions is slowing me down. <laughs> well, this is very cool. Uh, oh, says, yeah, you're professionally proactive. What a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> You're making us all look bad because we all just sit here doing exactly what we're told and nothing more. Right. Um, the the other the other question I had was, and I've and I've struggled with this. Like, um, okay, so you're saying, hey, you get a task, get it done, um, but yeah. the next step, the, but the next step is that you're like, okay, well, I've done these. A lot of this stuff can be automated. You find a way to make it quicker, a way to make it faster. You get it done in, in record time, and then you're looking for other things that you, you can work on, but not just looking for them. Look for it, identify it, and, and already start working on it in, in that in that free time that you've that you've uh, freed up for yourself. Do, do you worry about yeah. being noticed for that extra work? Do you toot your own horn, or are you, are you the person that just keeps your head down and like and just says hey it'll it'll get noticed let me because the reason why i'm asking that is because that's what i do i don't know if that's always been um i don't know if that's always been the best thing for me um yeah so what There's are your thoughts like on that self-promotion aspect of of like making sure people recognize your value yeah 
what are your thoughts I, on that i guess yeah i i i would try to play that um play that in the middle you don't you don't want to make it so that your bosses don't notice your value right and uh it's probably a little bit different in the remote workspace than the the in-person role that i serve in mm -hmm. because it's a little hard for people not to see what i do right because they're in the meetings with me and they see me asking critical questions they see me doing the role and doing the jobs that i've been assigned very well and getting ahead of problems um whereas if you're in a remote role it's very hard for people to see your value and your effect unless you put it in their face so okay. i don't know that there's a one-size-fits-all answer to this okay but i will say that like in the in-person setting that i work in i constantly encourage the people that work for me at the entry level and the sort of mid-level to every time you do something that that is important that you feel added significant value and sort of lies outside of your regular role write it down as a bullet point to put on your resume okay so keep track of it at the very least keep track of it and there will be set points we have one-on-ones uh, with our employees yep. once a month and every time we have on one-on-ones where we have a forum for the, them to talk about what they've done professionally like tell me about something that you've done in the last month that has added value to the team that you work on okay very cool that's cool and you even talked about how um you know you are looking at those things to keep you know uh that you're getting done because you freed up time um and that you're trying to stay ahead of what your managers may be uh uh trying to accomplish you almost kind of you almost kind of accomplished the tooting your own horn because your boss is saying, okay, we got to work on X, Y, Z. And you can at that time chime in and say, actually I've been working. I've, I, I saw that too. And I've been working on this or I've been working on that. Continue to increment yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that this, there's a gaping hole here that you guys haven't been paying attention to. And now that you've asked me about it, I'm already three weeks uh, into working on the solution that you guys need. <laughs> right. That, that kind of thing happens all the time where somebody will be like, hey, I, so I noticed that we don't have a disaster recovery plan. And it's like, yeah, I've been working on that for the last three weeks with like three other members of three different teams. Uh, we'll have that rolled out to you in about a week or two. Okay. <laughs> like that, that kind of stuff. And so essentially like in the in the in-person environment you let the work speak for itself mm -hmm. whereas you don't really have to you don't have to like throw it in somebody's face that you uh that you did something there right. have been instances where where i'll definitely like make it known so there was a an instance where i went back to a siloed space that i don't have access to and there were like three different senior engineers who were working on this one problem that was super, super visible. And they were working on it for three weeks straight. Couldn't figure out like what the what the problem was with this one critical application within the siloed space. And they're like, we need a, a fresh set of eyes. So they, you know, signed me in, brought me back there. They're like, you can't touch the keyboard, but you can have a look. And so I'm sitting there looking at what they're up to. And and I have them run a whole bunch of basic tests. They're running a, a command line uh, script that launches an executable. And in the command line script, it has uh, 
if then conditionals and this is where like knowing how to knowing the the logic of code is extremely helpful no matter what i'm i'm parroting what zoog said last yeah time. I, was just, I was just about to say <laughs> right no matter what role you fill in it knowing the logic of code will serve you well now, so now, now i that's, looked at this code that, real quick that's that's an important i just wanted to say you're not you don't have to understand every part of it of the code nuances but the logic of the code like there's loops there's declarations there's methods and and by looking at that you you have an understanding of 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 what it does is is that close to what you're saying another way to put it is if you understand the logic of code you don't have to understand the language okay because all languages interpreted compiled you name it have the same logic. They all have if then conditionals. They all have for loops. They all have while loops. Um, it's gonna look slightly different, the syntax. But if you can look at some code that's already written and you can say, there's an if conditional here. And this is essentially what led to, to one of the solves that I did in, I think it was in 15 minutes that took them three and a half weeks to look at. <laughs> so there was an if then conditional that would launch. And it would say, if this thing is here, if this executable exists in this location, mm -hmm. then launch it. If it doesn't exist in this location, then send this error. So what was happening at the command line when they would launch that script? It was sending them the error that basically said it doesn't exist in this location. So, you know, they would they would go and open up the... The Windows File Explorer and show me the UNC um, path where the executable existed, and I'm like, huh? So I I see it's there, and so what I did is I ran a PowerShell command, and so the PowerShell command that I ran was uh, was essentially a command to see if a file exists. It was a test uh, test path command, I think. Okay. And so. I ran a test path command on the exact location and says, first the location, right? I've and I ran a second test path command on the exact file name. And so when I ran a test path command command on the exact file name, what happened was it said that that file name didn't exist. So what did I do? I CD'd into that UNC path and I type in LS command this is all command line work, so right. it's important to know how to work in the command line, folks. Mm -hmm. I type an ls command, and what do I see? I see the same executable file listed in the same directory. Can anybody guess what the problem is? The same executable listed in the same directory. So I've given you all the details that you need to solve the problem. That's what... Oh, I didn't know there was a quiz. I I, I would so, have been taking notes so to go around. I'll, I'll give you the details. Give you the details. All right. Again. Fair enough. Pay attention, chat. So, so there's an if conditional. The first part of the if conditional says if the file exists here, launch it. The second part says if it doesn't exist here, throw an error. When they launch the script, the error was, the error was going. So essentially. <laughs> I got the indication that it didn't exist in this the location. They pulled up Windows File writes. Explorer and they look at the file name.exe and they say, see, it's there. Okay, so what I do, I do the test connector or test test path on the directory and then the executable. And 
the first test path for the directory is correct. The second test path for the executable says that the executable isn't there. When I type ls in the directory, what do you think I find? The file's there. Leo or no. So there's a permission uh, the issue. Have no reads right, so it's possible there could be a permissions issue. Okay. The exe was missing in the code. Closely. On. Is. This spelling. This spelling. <laughs> oh, so, the, the file was misspelled. Oh yeah, no, no. Go ahead. So some genius uh, sysadmin, before they had moved a file, had uh, put .exe on the file thinking that the .exe was missing, but they had simply added a .exe <laughs> to the file name. So the file's name, when I ls oh, in that no. directory, You'd was, see it. let's say it's the executable was Bob. Bob.exe.exe. <laughs> LOL. Leo says. <laughs> so you would see it because you ls into it, but it wouldn't run because it was .exe.exe. It was the wrong, or it wasn't it's triggering. Three, it took three senior engineers, <laughs> three weeks. Classic. You were just asking, says. Capital. And it took me 15 minutes to, uh, to solve this problem. And, and this is this is uh, to CSV the point. Uh, a, know the logic of, of programming. Because it's going to help you problem solve in these kind of ways. And B, work at the command line. <laughs> like work at the command line <laughs> because the GUI <laughs> is not always going to give you the no. Learn how to learn how to enact some uh, to, to enact some troubleshooting tools at the command line because like command line is is just miles and miles more powerful than than GUI. There's there's a right tool for the job right. kind of situation when Agreed. it comes to the GUI. Like let me be honest. Like sometimes I'll use the GUI to move files because it's easier. Okay, fine. But in the vast majority of like, I don't know how to solve these problems cases, I'm going to default to the command line. Yeah. Uh, that should be a joke. How many senior uh, sysadmins does it take to <laughs> find a, uh, a file or whatever? Well, that was this was also the first thing that I, I told them. It's like, if you want to make sure that this problem doesn't happen in the future, um, there's this button that you're, you you want to click right here in your Windows File Explorer. And I pulled down the ribbon for him, and I'm like, if you just click this button that says Show File Extensions, you'll it'll make it. it so that the file extensions are visible, and you'll be able to see that uh, .exe, .exe in the future. And I said, that. like, for, for all of these small siloed networks that you have, like, you might want to push a group policy that changes a registry key that makes it so that all systems on that network all systems on that network have this checkbox already clicked so that you know no matter what computer you go on you're always going to pull up a file explorer and see the the file extension um for what it's worth for uh, this question that leon asked what kind of sysadmin doesn't enable show file extensions in file explorer uh you don't <laughs> There are there are, are many different Windows computers that you're gonna come across, right? And like you don't know what you don't know until until you know it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's like, so I've, many settings in there. In like that's a checkbox, even. Good. 
Yeah, I've, I've been in so many situations where I've felt like a, a dumbass for missing something really basic in a sysadmin role. So the last thing that I I did as like part of going back there and helping these guys out is like I tried I tried to like internalize what I was thinking and feeling at the time that I basically like solved this problem that they've been working on for a, a good amount of time. And I, I didn't throw it back in their face, right? But I did go back to my boss and like pulled him aside and was like, yeah, so next time we have conversations about the value that I bring to this company, I, I want you to remember just, what these guys are about to tell you. Just <laughs> You prefaced it uh, so when it hit, uh, it, it hit differently. Very good. <laughs> I, uh, pause. That was nice of you. You didn't have to do that gift sub. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to real yeah. quick take a look. Uh, Master Blaster, uh, we were talking about tooting your own horn. I've been that guy. Uh, there wasn't much reward in that for me. I switched teams. Uh, there were people way ahead of me doing whole pro uh, proactive working. However, the rewards were measly salary hikes after a year. So uh, also irrelevant rewards. The only rewards are understanding what you do, learning the insides and out, then leveraging that to land a much better paying job uh, that also fits you uh, personally better. Uh, those are your two cents. That last cents. part is the key. Yep. That last part is the key. It's like you don't do it for the company to pay you more. You do it so that you can pad your CV or your resume so that you can get the next job that's going to pay you more. Yeah, it just so happens that it's yeah, it just so happens that it's it it helps promote both. The what you're doing helps the company and helps you, but yeah, it 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 really. It, it helps you because it's uh, it's it's something you put on your resume. Um, uh, pause has uh, uh, had a question uh, in there too. So I still sixty four bit Theo is there, Robbie. Uh, uh, I have a P pause has a question. So I have a question as someone trying to transition into IT in their mid thirties. Uh, I'm currently working on my network plus and was planning on getting security plus next. Is there uh, right thinking to get my foot hopefully in the door somewhere? And I'm glad this was uh, asked because I had it on my list of questions. Anyways, we were going to get into how do you get into, uh, how do you get in, how do you land a job in cybersecurity or, or even IT? So, uh, what, what do you think, Tagora? Uh, let's see. I think I have something written down here. Career advice to get started. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you had, what is it, the test taking? I said, I can't get to it because I'm on the Discord line. there. Um, what is your level? Have you taught yourself? How important are shirts? How uh, you did land your job in cybersecurity? You get in the industry, um, stepping okay. out of your comfort zone. Oh, did you find it? Um, no, but I'll I'll answer it off the cuff. Uh, okay. So I get I get this question a lot from from young people that we've already hired in uh, to work for us. So um, first of all, if you need certs to get your foot in the door definitely uh get the certs that you think that you need to get your foot in the door um certs are critically important so that you can get your foot in the door mm -hmm. but once your foot's in the door um i don't i don't really care that much like you're you'll notice that most um it professionals at least 
on the sysadmin side. They care what you can do. They don't care what you're certified for. Because so often what is proven to be the case is from being a um, into it. what you can do is a lot less than what you're certified for. So there's a lot of people who hold a lot of certifications and they can't do a whole lot. And there are a lot of people who hold few certifications and they can do a whole lot. <laughs> I guess Home I need labs. to get a point yes. from optician because yeah. I see a bit So if you wanna if you wanna prove anything that your employer me, or your team or Seven somebody is going to value, now. like still prove learning. still growing. experience. Still the best thing um, I've ever did. So there's three ways of looking at, at this. You're certified to do something, which means you have the the knowledge, right? There's the capability uh angle of things where you have the know-how so the know that the know-how and then the i've actually done this thing in the world and i know the ins and outs of it and how it can break and how to fix it that is that is the know-how and know that combined this is your capacity to affect change your capacity to have value and this is the critical the critically important thing within uh the system side of IT especially. It might be also true of cybersecurity, but on the system side of things, you want to have the capacity to show value and affect change within a production environment. Huge, huge yeah. advice there. Thank you. Yep. And it, it, it helps with figuring out like, you know, people always have these questions about like what certification to get. Um, it helps figuring out the answer to that for you because like you you kind of have a sense after a certain point, like what kind of niche you want to fall into. And so if you're having trouble getting into that niche, get the cert that's going to allow you to get into that niche mm -hmm. and then flaunt it to whoever's going to hire you. And then once you've got your foot in the door, like you got to, prove that you have the capacity to do the things that they want you to do mm -hmm. and that's where like having the home lab experience try hack me hack the box things like that are super important the the, cert, the certificate almost answers the question before it's asked because a lot of people say well how do i how do i prove i can get into industry and, and a lot of people in HR or hiring or some hiring managers, they put a lot of stock in that certificate because, okay, this person at least at the bare minimum has the vocabulary that we can talk and we can develop them. Or they put a lot more stock into it and say, well, that person, they did, they, 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 they took the certificate and they have the certificate. They obviously know how to, how to work in this role. Um, so it, it's almost answering the question is like, well, what do I have to do? You, you're giving through that certificate, you're getting the 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 foundational knowledge of that certificate to for, to to be considered uh, appropriate for that industry. And, and and I agree with Tagore saying that you can somewhat accomplish the same thing by working on home labs, by doing write-ups on Try Hack Me, by putting it on your, your GitHub, putting it on a 
uh, on a website, putting it on a on a Git book, um, showcasing that, and including it on your resume too, so they so they can they can go through it and they can look at it also. This leads to like one of the the critical things that we wanted to talk about uh, during this interview, and that is uh, the interview itself. Um, so knowing up front what um, an interviewer is looking for, what a what HR managers are looking for is uh, one side of things. It's like you know the HR plus recruiters is the sort of screening side of things to to make it sh make sure that like the the managers who are actually doing the technical interviews that their time isn't being wasted by a candidate who falls far below expectations once you've hit the interview room this is the there's a different set of expectations and and a certain set of things that that the interviewers are looking for um and this all boils down to uh my everybody's afraid concept, right? And so if you if you realize that everybody's afraid of something and that your interviewers are afraid of some things in particular, what your interviewers are afraid of are the following things. One, I'm hiring somebody that I can't train. Two, I'm hiring somebody that won't work well with others. <laughs> Three. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just not saying anything. I see. I shouldn't have said anything. I'm not saying anything because this is excellent shit. Yep. The the third one is is the sort of unknown portion. the The third one is I'm hiring somebody that I don't know what they're like, and I'm going to regret later uh, hiring this person. Mm -hmm. And that's the the sort of unknown portion. So essentially, you're answering two questions in the interview process. The first question is about fit. Do you fit well on the team? And the second question is sort of about like learning an OJT. Are you the type of person that can possibly learn new things, right? Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that you have to know everything. Mm -hmm. So when I'm doing technical interview questions in light of what I just told you, the technical interview questions are not to gauge whether or not we're going to hire you. They're at, this is this is advice for the entry level only, just so I'm being clear. So like once you go beyond the entry level, it's it's a whole new bag of things, right? But for entry level specifically, I'm not trying to answer via technical questions whether or not I'm going to hire you. I'm trying to answer by asking technical questions, where do I have to start with this person? Mm -hmm. How much work am I going to have to put in to train this person up on the job? Is this person capable of being trained on the job? Mm -hmm. And that's a, a critical pivot to make because a lot of people while asking, uh, while asking and answering technical interview questions during an interview, they'll immediately when they can't come to an answer for a particular technical question they'll say something to the effect of oh i'm doing horrible i can't answer any of these questions it's like no this is giving us valuable information as your future employer about how much work that we're going to have to do mm -hmm. yes uh, when we do the comparison so you know if we have five people interviewing for the same position and 
essentially we have to compare across all five of them for one position to hire we're going to pick the person who has less less ojt so at the end of the day yes we are using this to gauge whether or not we're going to hire you but like it's not disqualifying like the technical interview questions are not disqualifying in in and of themselves because we also want to know do you work well with others do you fit on a team that other guy who can answer all the technical interview questions maybe he's just a, a garbage person you know maybe he yeah. came off as an asshole during the interview like there are people that i've interviewed and i'm like he couldn't answer like there was so we got through with a, a technical interview one time and we're like hold on i got a question for this person so i i asked one more question that was a follow-up and i was like i muted the the microphone because we do all of our things remotely i'm like i need to i need to know some things first so i muted the the microphone and i said I'm gonna ask some sort of like fit questions to figure out where this guy's at. So I muted, unmuted the microphone, came <clears> back <throat> to the guy, and I'm like, "All right, so tell me, tell me about a time when you fail." And sometimes these like really basic questions um, about tell me a time when you failed, tell me a, about a time that you succeeded at something, tell me about, you know, <laughs> your your favorite vacation there there are some questions that that are geared towards figuring out what kind of person that you are that you should also have like not rehearsed answer to rehearsed answers to but like a, an understanding of how you're going to answer the questions mm -hmm. so a, a horrible answer to the question i've never or um <laughs> tell me about a time that you failed is i've never never failed, failed. never happened mm -mm. Yeah, never, not in my life. <laughs> Failure's one of those. <laughs> right. It's hilarious. Yeah. Failure, failure's one of those. Um, but like, what we're looking for is, how do you take, how do you take that, that thing that you feel like you didn't do as well as you could, I've and seen you turn that into a positive, others. right? It's about the pivot, um, because you have to answer the question. Yes, I failed. Obviously, we all fail. We're all human. And they want to have that sort of recognition during the interviews. Like, everybody's human. We're all going to fail at some point. So let's recognize that I've done that. And here's how. And also, I kind of laugh about it now because when I talk about this failure, it turned into Please like one of my greatest successes because X, Y, Z, right? It's about turning that, that thing that you once looked at as a failure and like using it as a way to massively improve yourself or the team that you work on or the company that you work for it's a it's about that pivot we want to know that you failed and that you have the humility and that you you recognize the humanity and failure mm -hmm. but we also want to know that when you fail you don't sit down and cross your arms and not tell anybody <laughs> about the fact that you failed you try to hide it sweep it under the rug <laughs> <laughs> what did you learn? What did you get from it? What, how did you improve? Yeah, from that failure. It's hilarious. Yeah. One of the first one of the first things that sysadmins learn on the job, and you have to learn it on the job, but <laughs> an L1 sysadmin will always learn on the job at some point, maybe sooner, maybe later, that uh, if you break something, own up to it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right on. Uh, that's one it's, of the things it's that... It's not fine. Yeah. It's not... 
technically not fine that you broke something, but it's better that you broke something and said something than to break something and not say something at all. Because we're going to find out. <laughs> yep. And if it takes us one minute, two minutes to find out, we can deal with that. If it takes us like four or five hours of like whole teams working to find out what you fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, yeah. Just to have the humility to, to say like, something to say something when you've done something look we all screw up uh i screwed up one time like it it was just before a weekend i was moving a bunch of files for a user from like one uh system and one uh, network share to another and i used a command that i had not used before because uh i was looking for a way to put a progress two, bar onto ten. a move command right so i used a command called rsync and rsync is a sort of backup copy command in Linux. It's really cool and interesting command, but it had some features that I wasn't aware of because when you look at the man page of copy versus rsync, you'll see that rsync is effectively copy, but with a couple of other features. Okay. One of the features that I didn't know about was essentially uh, rsync when you supply it with some options, and I don't know exactly I didn't go back and do the post-mortem on this, but when you give it some options, essentially it'll change the uh, ownership of parent folders above it. And I had done this on a network share that made it so that this user who I had transferred his files of was the owner of an entire network share throughout the entire weekend. So I basically brought a huge, huge swath of the production environment down for three days of workable time. Mm -hmm. Because... <laughs> because I I'd use a command that I wasn't aware of before. And I was, you know, I came on a Monday, I looked at it, I saw, oh, that's the problem. I saw a whole bunch of P1 tickets come in. Um, I was the owner of the server at the time. I was like, oh, I did that. I know, I know is the source of the problem. So I immediately like reach out to the, the guy who was like senior to me at the time the time and i had said like hey i did this <laughs> i wanted to let you know there's tickets that came in about it i feel awful but like i've already fixed it we're good now mm -hmm. um and so he took it to the meetings above me and everybody was happy that it was solved it was resolved quickly and they were like just don't do it again i'm like yeah i probably won't not that anyway <laughs> right yep agree yep i agree uh owning up to the mistake and 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 working on it is will uh, uh is often way better than uh pretending it wasn't you and and uh pretending like it didn't happen uh i agree with you 110 percent there um msec before i forget that's that's one of the reasons why i want to talk to you um which we got to schedule time uh, because i'm i'm not i i don't fully understand uh neurodiverse uh conditions um so, so before i forget i wanted to mention that um that's an interesting point that you raise a lot of open-ended questions are discriminatory to applicants with neurodiverse conditions um yeah so when we when we interview for candidates and i don't know whether this answer is gonna hit right or whatever with regard to that statement in particular but when we interview candidates we have to um, interview candidates in the same way according to um, our hr department and legal and so on and so forth we have to offer the same interview candidates to everybody who comes through the door, door no matter who they are 
So it just so turns out that um, neurodiverse candidates are going to get some questions that they're not going to be able to answer well. Theo, it's time for me to go, so I will try to join. The best thing that you can say for a neurodiverse candidate, somebody with somebody who's on the autism spectrum, for example, going into an interview is to be as like transparent as possible. Let people know up front that if you notice some things about my personality, like I don't respond well to social cues i don't understand what those mean uh, i might not be able to answer some questions about um some open-ended questions that you would use to gauge personality or things like that like you can be upfront about that stuff because the first question that basically any any interview starts out with is tell me a bit about yourself things i can do to diversify myself from the rest yeah there's there's always a that first question in the interview tell me a bit about yourself um, and that's why in UK interviewees can request reasonable adjustments like having the questions up front so they can have more time to work on an answer. They may be given yeah, more time. Yeah, I don't know if there's that level of standardization in the US. In the US. Processes. Yep. Yeah. And and that's a great question and I, I and I'm not going to lie to you. I, I I saw you ask it MSEC and I'm glad you did. I got nervous because I don't I don't fully understand that. Um, as much as I should. Uh, thank you for the honest uh, answer, Tagora. Uh, and uh, and MSEC, again, another reason why I want to talk to you, uh, too, because there needs to be more light, uh, perhaps, a shine on that uh, in, in the U.S., uh, because we do have those differences there. Um, Electro... I had a, a bunch of, like, autistic students when I was, um, when I was a, a career tech instructor, and they did extremely well on all the technical tasks. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right for for things uh, like answering to um, working on a team and things like that. They might they might not shine as brightly, and so maybe that's maybe on balance. It's interesting like when, to see um, the difference in regions. when us as a team, as a sort of hiring manager team, are face. looking at candidates on balance. Mm-hmm. Somebody might have a much stronger technical skill than they do interpersonal skill. Mm-hmm. And depending on what we're hiring for at that point, you know, maybe we need somebody who's a little bit stronger on the technical side. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be a, a point where they'll win, right? Yep. Excellent point, MSEC. Thank you, Tagora. Uh, Leon had said, uh, okay, yeah, that was more on neuro, uh, neurodiverse. Electro that, um, Electro's uh, knew the community. Uh, if I'm trying to enter an entry-level position, what are some stings? What are some things probably I can do to diversify myself uh, from the rest? We talked. We talked a little bit. Well, we talked a lot about about what you can do to diversify yourself from the rest. But uh, do you have any other uh, uh, suggestions there for, uh, for Electro Tagora? Yeah, based on what we've been seeing in the interview rooms, um, it's critically important that you are at at the entry level that you're well grounded in the foundations of it and there's usually this sort of like hand wavy version of what i mean by the foundations foundational knowledge but um the thing that that gets at this best is like sort of comptia's a plus net plus security plus like all of the concepts that are in the the base three are things that will help get you well grounded in the foundations 
And the educator in me also likes to say that rote memorization by itself doesn't make knowledge stick. And that's where that home lab situation comes in because it's one thing to have studied the OSI model like one time and know that it's a thing and that it has seven layers, but then to like set up your own network and realize how the network stack works by actually like addressing an API and figuring out after dealing with problems with the connection between like your computer and the API that you're trying to get to respond to, mm -hmm. like <laughs> figuring out that it's somewhere in that network stack and where is it? At what layer of the network stack does the problem lie? Uh -huh. I'll yeah. tell you, I'll tell you why I'm laughing. Good for yeah. notes, right? um, because uh, had I gone down the OSI model when I was uh, doing my uh, home lab on stream last year, I would have checked the connection cables to the SSD uh, drives to make sure that they would be detected by the operating system. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, know. There's, like, there's also critical points for uh, the system angle. Says, um, and Staying I deal with this, this kind of thing all the time with entry-level employees. The uh, base troubleshooting it's methodology it's that CompTIA offers, they have some things that talk about least costly, started. least invasive solutions first. Mm -hmm. Like, in terms of prioritization, always check that the thing is plugged in and <laughs> powered on before you start, like, busting open the computer and replacing processors. <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And then there's there's other components of, about like um, uh, using known good working components. So like if you're troubleshooting, don't try to troubleshoot like a bad component by replacing it with another. I don't know whether this is good or not component. Like get it to a point where this thing can act as a tool for you. So essentially, it can answer a binary yes or no question about whether or not this thing works. You need to know that if you're replacing this bad monitor with this other monitor, that this other monitor is good first. I'm laughing at myself. Known good working. Yeah. Known good working. You need a known good working network cable. How do you know that it's known good working? You plug it into a cable tester and you make sure that signal can go through on both ends on all eight pins. I literally have a monitor that broke on me um, that I'm pointing at and it gets power <laughs> and I haven't I haven't messed with it because um, the computer detects it <laughs> but I got to find another cable to test so like literally like what you're talking about is just is just hitting home and it just it just makes so yeah. much sense why you need that foundational knowledge yep that's yeah. what I'm laughing at master blaster I'm laughing at myself <laughs> It, it reminds me every time that I talk about like the foundations that, uh, that we as an industry, as IT and cybersecurity are just like a lot less transparent about what we mean by that than probably we should be. Mm -hmm. There should probably be some place that we can go online and just use to verify that we have foundational knowledge like everybody who wants to work in it can go to this website and just like start fussing around with a set of systems and then prove that they have foundational knowledge in some way nice um, yeah. um you know what uh stepping out from our normal outline um 
I asked Zoogs about Arizona iced tea. Oh, you know what? I never got back to Delicious. that question though. It is okay. <laughs> which which uh, which flavor are you are it's you getting the, uh... if you walk into the convenience store with a wall of Arizona iced teas in the door? Oh, the uh, Arnold Palmer. Man, oh man. I saw about boy. lemonade and uh, lemonade and iced tea, man. Yep, I agree with you. Yeah, on a hot day. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> Good one. Um, King Electro Electro's um, um, asking in chat, what are some good projects for beginners or ideas of projects? Uh, do you have any that are off the top of your head? Because I, it, l literally, like anything that you can say that you're putting together or that you're working on, I, I think you can make a, a blog post out of it. If it's if it's just you and your journey learning how to uh, do virtualization on your computer for the first time and downloading a VM and going through the process, um, I, I think that's a good one. But do, do you have any other? Do you have any other good ones, Tagora? Yeah. I'll first reference the most unhelpful answer that I've ever heard uh, directed at this question, which is just do anything. <laughs> just, just do. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I've, I've heard those responses and they're, they're just like the most unhelpful responses. Uh, the sentiment is in the right place. Yeah. But I think like, I think what people generally, um, don't have like at hand when they're thinking about responses to questions like this is a set of go to you must do these sorts of things for because i teach a sysadmin course for um for sysadmin students i want to know that you can get around a command line environment in both windows and linux um I want to know that you can make folders, move files, deal with permissions, uh, add users groups, uh, add users to groups, um, so on and so forth. I want to know that you can uh, spin up an Active Directory domain controller as a sort of basic skill. I want to know that you can make services work on Linux machines and on Windows machines and get the Linux and Windows machines to talk to one another. People need to know service layer. To um, I, I want to know that you can do all of these things and it's it's a big ask right but mm -hmm. like I want to know that you can do all these things I want to know that that you can make it so that your Linux box and your Windows box that are connected on the same network that you can make your your um, Linux box talk to Kerberos I want to know that you can make uh, Active Directory authentication work on your your Linux box essentially. Uh, so the chat um, was kind enough to remind me, and uh, I like I like how you answered that question uh, because I can't remember who who often says that about just doing or just starting. I, I I'm sure it'll yeah. come to me after just the stream. Yeah, but um, it's the the Nike response to it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But I'll often tell people too. I'll often tell people just get started. Like I, and and it's not from a laziness aspect of me uh, uh, of answering a question. It, it comes from because we hear it a lot. Like, well, what do I work on? Well, what do I do? Um, like I, the first project that you work on, that you do, that you put on GitHub, isn't going to be spectacular. One of the first code snippets I put on GitHub, I think, was a rock paper scissor game in java 
yeah. not JavaScript. It was in Java. Um, so that's I what I mean by just doing, just do. It stems from two places. I think when people are asked to offer advice, they don't often have the the advice at hand, right? So like, I'm not thinking about what you need all the time. And so I can't provide good responses to like what you possibly need. The second problem is this mind blindness problem. Like once you, in any field, it doesn't matter if it's IT or any, like I've worked across several different fields in my life. I'm 41 years old. I've worked in academia as a historian, as a philosopher, as a scientist. Mm -hmm. Any field that you go to that has expertise, once you get that expertise, you become mind blind to the things that it took to get you oh. to the point where you have expertise. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, and actually, so like yeah. when somebody's asking questions at this like pre-fundamental level where they're like, I just need to know how to, how to get going. Like, how do I, how do I get started? Yeah. And the most genuine answer to this, like, how do I get started at a fundamental level problem is it's kind of like the answer that you provided. It's like, I started by programming a game. It was like tic-tac-toe. It was, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing, didn't really care, but I needed to produce something. Mm -hmm. So picking a, picking a project that you're interested in is super critically important and picking a direction. So... It has to be something that engages you creatively and it has to provide directionality to your to your effort right mm -hmm. so like if you're aiming at something it's fine you know we talk about these different areas of cybersecurity, like you know infrastructure hacking versus web hacking and whatever let's say you're just like I want to be a web hacker you can decide that up front and you could be wrong about the fact that two years from now, you're going to be a web hacker. You could, as long as you pick that direction and go with it, you're going to gain skills that are going to help you no matter where you end up. But just pick a direction. Mm -hmm. And and I, I think this is more helpful than Great. just do something because it tells you, okay, find out what I'm interested in, pick a direction get going in that direction pick projects that are going to engage you creatively and when you've done that work if you find out that you were wrong about what you were interested in you found out something new about yourself yep agree wholeheartedly 100 i wish i could argue with something on that excellent advice again and the great thing about it is it all it all connects at the end of the day like stuff about the web connects to stuff about infrastructure all the time all this stuff all these systems this is why we refer to them as systems are interconnected so if you learn how to do something in one area of it it's going to help you in some other area of it so it's not wasted time to pick a direction and just go that way um uh, take a look at chat real quick uh Nori had jumped in uh, uh, VTubers uh, who I think is the cutest VTuber um, Nori that goes without question you're my favorite I'm going to be honest when I, I say like I'm, I must be an old person because I barely understand what VTuber means <laughs> I didn't understand it until they made one for me Tagora so nice um, 
to people need to know a list would choose everything oh yeah that's not, I'm, um, i just started me, a list let me comment on this uh msec thing so he says windows server evaluation oh. isos are Scott free for 180 days i want to highlight this i also want to say if you find yourself with any sort of edu um email address oh yeah typically they'll have what is it it's microsoft um something something for dev tools for teaching and learning something like that and yeah, it's essentially so a, have, a repo of right good yeah you can get access to any microsoft license Monster like without the 180 day limitation i don't know what if tube is either Yep, great point. Yeah, if you have an EDU um, and you haven't done so, I downloaded the hell out of Windows. Uh, I think I put it yeah. on three. Uh, I had a limit. I think they give us three. Uh, I downloaded yeah, it on three of the computers. And then they and then they made it Azure Dev Tools for teaching. He says, mm -hmm. says, yeah, used to be called. Dreams yeah, and so you can gra grab like says. licensed versions of uh, where they have like, Visual Studio. Mm -hmm. like, you can download licensed versions of Microsoft SQL mm -hmm. Studio and Microsoft SQL Server Manager. Yep. Just like the whole the whole thing. I got like the SQL from my I got a plenty of plenty of great stuff on there. Yep, me too. Uh, let me get back over to questions here. Um. So we're talking about landing your your job in the industry. We talked about uh, okay. So how necessary is networking? Um, I I've been in the habit of telling people, look, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, you know, I'm still at times I'm still terrible at it. We I, I was just at a, a company retreat. Uh, there was 300 people there. Um, I walked in and I like clammed up like instantly. I had to go and take a walk around and clear my head and you know remind myself I I got to engage with people and I you know and and then and. Uh, uh, I got back to my table and I just started asking people about what they do in the job and and you know what what do they what do they do with the company and you know t talk about that like is there anything industry uh, interesting um so so it's hard in person <clears throat> but I definitely think it's important on LinkedIn I, I think it's important in, in, even in Discord and I especially think it's important in person but uh, the last thing I, I want to say was that it's if you're on social media you got to engage positively. I think the hot takes, if you're trying to get into the industry, could, could be detrimental to you. Um, but engage positively and genuinely asking questions of people's posts. What, uh, uh, what are your feelings, Tagora? Uh, have a LinkedIn. Um, that's important at a sort of basic level to keep track of things. Um, so like... Whenever I get a new certification, everybody will see some notification that says I've got a new certification, right? Uh, it's not a, it's not really about me tooting my horn. It's about the fact that um, I say this jokingly, both now that I'm a manager and when I was a teacher, I say I've got a bad case of uh, CRS from my time in the military. And if you don't know what CRS CR is, then okay. you're you're lucky. <laughs> It's you a, explain it with CRS. It's a degenerative illness related to aging called can't remember shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got that. <laughs> and so LinkedIn helps with that mm -hmm. because you don't have to remember shit that you write down. 
That's all right there. <laughs> so, yeah. All their all their their experience, where they worked, if you worked with them before, if you were in the same job, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so on the, the other networking aspects, so, um, when I was, when I was younger and I'm, I still struggle with this a little bit, um, but like when I was a teenager and into my early twenties, especially, I just found it really difficult to talk to people. And I find, I find that like when I'm in social situations, like, a big party and everybody is finding it easy to just go up and talk to random strangers. I'm not that guy. Um, and so I'm laughing because really, I'm not really either. Had to, yep. I've really had to work at, at becoming the guy who talks when at least talks when necessary. Okay. And there it's, it's super, super prevalent in industry, especially um, in like the IT field you get in and you start working in the IT field, if you have something that lies within your scope, you got to speak about it. Mm -hmm. um, you got to speak to the things that fall within your area of responsibility. And like, there's so many people that I work with that are at the sort of like leader level that don't speak to things in their area of responsibility because they don't feel well versed in speaking up generally. I, mm -hmm. I take it. Um, so that's in the work setting in the sort of like extended work setting when you find yourself out at parties and things like that. Uh, one of the things that I've found to be helpful is to just generate like, I know it sounds, sounds cheesy, but like get some dad jokes, get some, <laughs> you know, have, have, have a couple of, of, you know, hip pocket jokes that you can just like throw in there and, uh, you know, if you know people are laughing at something that you said, then you feel less less averse to them because mm -hmm. they're not laughing at you. They're laughing at the thing that you said. And then you can, because everybody's laughing and cheerful says, and joyous, it's, jokes it's a little home. bit easier to like interject yourself into conversation afterwards after people are feeling good, feeling good about your presence, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it feels weird to enter into a social situation where you're just like interjecting into a social situation. Nobody knows who you are. You're a complete stranger. You've added no value yet to anybody. And they're just like, who's this weird guy that's just standing there all awkwardly and sheepish? Yep. So you got to find a way to, to break in, establish purpose, establish value. Uh, jokes are an easy, an easy end. So like, have some jokes be the kind of person who likes to joke around uh don't take yourself too seriously where you don't have some jokes and can't laugh, laugh at jokes that other people make right. um like all all this stuff's important especially like in person social situations and networking and you know there's a there's a balance act to this too because uh you can be so much of a jokester that people will never take you seriously, seriously so mm -hmm. yep Another good yeah. point. Another good point. Um, yeah, and you, you know, gotta you gotta balance that. <clears throat> agree. And uh, so this takes us into the next question too, because um, I've included into the list is like importance of stepping out of your comfort zone. Um, you know, for a long time, um, I I would stay in my my cozy little bubble. Um, I don't, I did, I, you know, I would often tell myself, I, I, I don't want to take a chance cause I don't want to fall on my ass or I don't want to, I don't want to fail. 
Uh, I don't want to screw it up. I don't want to do something because I don't want to screw it up. Um, it was only, unfortunately, after 40 years of spinning around on this on this flaming rock that um, I realized how important it is to step out of my comfort zone and how much you learn and how much you grow when you're outside of your comfort zone. So, you know, I, I tell people, I'll tell people, hey, you know, just get comfortable being uncomfortable. What, uh, what do you, uh, what are your feelings about stepping outside of your comfort zone, Takora? Uh, if you're get just getting started in a job, uh, there you go. that you don't know very well, everything will feel uncomfortable. Everything. <laughs> Start to finish. Everything's going to feel uncomfortable. They, they turn this imposter syndrome. And I think I said it the other day when I was in the stream. Uh, just so you're aware, even the people who've made it, even the people who've made it still have imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yep. Everyone's still uh, trying to figure it out. Everyone's still learning. Yeah. Everyone's still questioning. My God, what, what? I'm sorry. They know what's a VTuber? <laughs> like everyone's still yeah. struggling with being relevant, I think. So you, you are an imposter. Mm -hmm. We're all imposters here. Everyone's imposter. Um, accept it. Move on from it. Uh, mm -hmm. Any working professional, regardless of their field, has to start somewhere. And that somewhere Sonic is lovingly what I like to I'll call the zone of crap. <laughs> Wait, what was For that two again? Reasons. It's I call it the zone of crap. <laughs> okay. Now I'll give you for two reasons. You're Please. expected to to fight for your place and existence on the team, right? Right. And basically, I want somebody on the team who wants to be there and will demonstrate their desire to learn and grow every day when they come to work. The second reason why I call it the zone of crap is it's important to find yourself at the right place and the right time to get new experiences and to learn new things. To some extent, like L2 and L3 system administrators aren't going to invite you in to he their says. crap. Mm -hmm. They're not going to say, hey, come along. I've got some new things that. to teach you, young Padawan. That's not the way it works. No, no. <laughs> you have to be available to take advantage of the fact that people are willing to teach you if you make yourself available to learn and that's a vulnerable you to position to, you got to learn how to creatively leverage the fact that you're that you you need to be put into these positions where mm -hmm. some leader or manager of your team has expectations that you're going to be learning and growing Our on the job, is. developing from to within point, the role that you've been hired so into. I've been doing There's baked-in learning on-the-job training that happens within every in industry. And, really you know, your manager is going to love the fact that you're willing job. to learn. I'm uh, other people around are going to be... Um, are going to be open to the fact of like teaching you new things if you make make it seem like you you're capable of learning. Mm -hmm. All this stuff. If you're the if you're the type of person, and I've seen it on the opposite end of the spectrum, the the I know everything kind mm -hmm. of person, because you never want to admit that you're wrong, and right. you never want to admit that you're flawed in any sort of way. This is a problem for you if you go into situations and work situations and make it seem like you have a whole bunch of value, but you do not, then you're going to find yourself in a position where other people aren't going to be so open to teach you new things mm. because you already know it all. Right. 
And Can... that's not on them because you opened up with, I already know everything. Right. Okay, fine. I don't have to I've done this role at my old you, job, little Danny. It's a vulnerable position to tell people, uh, include me. Uh, I, I don't know what this is. I, I, you know, include me in the next Teams meeting you have on this project. I want to learn. Uh, I want to become more familiar. It's uh, it's it's vulnerable. That's hard to say that over and over and over again. Um, but eventually, people will understand that. Okay, this person wants to be involved. This person wants to 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 know, and uh, and and uh, hopefully that will help with uh, getting you included on things. Um, Fo Machina, uh, dude, that point hits home. So I've been doing payroll software for uh, 16 years. I have a specialty in that role that's very rare. I really do have imposter syndrome, even though I've literally done this job. Uh, I'm getting out of control. Um, I'm getting control of it, but it happens to everyone. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's true. Um, it is true. We talked about your current role. We talked about like um, your expectations. I think within your role, um, we're getting close to the end. Uh, Tagore, I mean, is there any? Um, well, I'm going to talk about anything else that you wanted to talk about specifically. But you know, is there any other advice that you think people should have that you wish you had when you started on on, on your path? It's not necessarily cybersecurity, but like like on your path with IT or just in general with career. Uh, be open to the, the humanity of it. Um, I think the, the thing that's carried me really, really far, uh, in the role that I'm in is like understanding that you're dealing with people at the end of the day. Um, we deal in technology, but the technology affects the people that we work for. Like, uh, I didn't I didn't handle this as part of my bio, but I I work in aerospace right now. So I work in a siloed classified environment dealing with aerospace uh, technology. They design next generation aircraft, um, aircraft engines, things like that, components of aircraft engines. So when their IT doesn't work, uh, it affects them in their work life, but it affects like their mood for the day. And at the end of the day, like being able to understand that like your work affects their livelihood and what their life is like when they come to work that's it's critically important for me and the people who work on my team to realize this fact because oftentimes it'll always come down to like how their request affects your immediate circumstance Right. And the service desk, okay. people always get bent out of shape about every little thing. They're like, I can't believe they're asking me to solve this problem, whatever. If you just like depersonalize it, it's not about you. Recognize there's humanity in the fact that like you're here to serve a role. You're privileged to work in this role right now. And until you've taken on some other role, you should do this role the best that you best possibly you can. can. You should strive to make this place better than what you found it. Those are those are the the two sort of guiding mantras of whenever I take on a new role. Do the role in the best way that I possibly can, and it's going to be different for everybody because you know people have different capabilities. And always leave a place better than you found it. Mm -hmm. That like if 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 you go in with that attitude to any job that you work, you're going to be valued for that. Yep. 
Agree. God. I wish I had some shit to disagree with you about, Sakura. I don't. <laughs> the Browns suck. Oh, you are full. Of, you're baiting me. There's no way. Are you kidding me? I can't. All I can't the industries? Really, no. no. Yeah. The 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 Bengals are uh, out of it. So. <laughs> that's a that's tough. That really is. Translated from Haitian Creole. Yeah. Um, but if, if anybody else has anything in uh, chat, I'm um, willing to answer other questions that uh, people have. Mm -hmm. um, do you do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about specifically? <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm interested to see okay. if anybody else has uh, questions. If not, then we can uh, we can get on to doing some hacking or whatever else you guys got going on. Mm hmm. All right. So, yep. Chat. Is there any questions there that uh, anyone else has that uh, anyone else wants to talk about? Fomakina says, "Good information. Highly motivating. That's why I like coming here. Thank you, Hugo and Theo, for sharing." Yeah. For what it's worth, like the um, the thing that that I I want to get across about this is that you know people often think Don't that they're shunned away says. from. No questions uh, from, from taking on new roles or new positions because of technical skill, but like oftentimes it's not the case. What we're looking for as hiring managers is technically something different Master than Blaster what you think says, we're looking for as people who apply for the job. So put your best foot forward by making like a resume that's both well considered and has gone Being through like many, many drafts. Says, you find somebody that you trust. Thank you guys. Uh, you trust their opinion and you trust their advice and you go and say, is this the best version of myself when you put their resume in front of them? <laughs> uh, you want to find somebody who's Six both is. out of industry and somebody yes, who's in industry to review your res resume. You and then when know. you put it forward, you know, make sure that you've done the done your diligence. Don't don't put forward something that you haven't spell checked uh. or anything like that. Um and as long as as long as you make it through that initial screening, like I'm I'm willing to entertain in the fact that somebody legitimately wants a role if they come in to the interview room and say, Hey, I'm I'm interested in this role. Now, you have to you have to alleviate my concerns about you. Like you Don't have to, to me, deal says. with the fact that I have certain mean, fears as a hiring manager about, you know, people that I bring into my house. Um, I didn't go into the long elaborate story of like two people who did come into my house as a hiring manager that it took forever her to get rid of. <laughs> like it's so, mm -hmm. so easy to bring somebody on. It's so, so hard to get rid of somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's that third fear that I was talking about, the fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. Oh my, oh my God, does <laughs> it take forever to get rid of somebody? Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's incredibly toxic to your team and organization when you right. have to. So. And you don't go into you don't go into that as a hiring manager. You don't go into that. Um, <clears throat> you want everyone to work out. You're looking for people that will fit, that will contribute to the team, that that will be there long lasting. Um, so I mean, you don't go into that like God, you know. If it doesn't work out, you know, I mean, you you want it to work out. Um, with the person you're bringing on so um putting your best foot forward and and, and showing people that you you want to work with them um i agree 
agree with you again, Dora. Uh, Zupri, I, I was talking about the um, the three fears that hiring managers have, not three things that I'm I'm looking for uh, hiring people into. So it's basically like, are you the type of person who can learn on the job? Are you the type of person that will fit well on my team? And this sort of third wild card, which is fear of the unknown. And uh, fear of the unknown is is weird because what we're looking for is to like we get a like sense for somebody's personality and, and how they interact during a very short 30-minute span of time. Uh, all you really have to do for the unknown portion, and there's like I said, you, you can't really do much about this as a hiring manager, is just don't red flag yourself. You know, don't mm -hmm. do anything where the the employer is going to be like, "Oh, that's a red flag." Okay. Okay. Uh, I I don't see anything else out there from chat. Uh, there's a, a bunch of thank yous in there. I'm sure you, um, you'll be able to see them. Um, we uh, uh, I'll make this vod. Uh, I'll save this chunk so it'll be available on Twitch. Uh, I'm gonna actually I'm gonna probably take the vod I, I think i could just upload it directly to uh um spotify or whatever it is they call it now uh for the podcast i'm, I'm i don't think i'm gonna because we i have video to use um so it'll be on the on the podcast it'll be on youtube and it'll be on twitch um tagora i can't thank you enough uh i i've reached out to you and asked uh uh for um questions and help uh, on a couple of different things um, in fact, we even talked about like rote memorization and learning at, at length, uh, and uh, and even that's uh, being helpful. So I appreciate that as well. But thank you again uh, for uh, for doing the podcast, for all your knowledge. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, if you guys are looking for me, uh, feel free to Friday connect with me on LinkedIn. I don't really guys. care because I'm an old guy. I like to dox myself. Don't lose <laughs> I know, Sean. me too. Sean Comer is my name. Look for me on LinkedIn. You can connect with me. We can we can include it in the in the description or the or the podcast too. Whatever whatever you're comfortable with. And I was even going to ask you about like the uh, uh, all the all the answers that you questioned. If you want me to include that, uh, we can do yeah, that as well. Feel free to include whatever. If I put okay. it out there, I'm I'm okay with it. Okay, sounds good. Um, I've had two redeems for Billy the Fish. Uh, from uh, Nori earlier on and, and Jess. Uh, so I'm going to let those go. Uh, um, thank you again, Tagora. Yeah, thank you. Uh, okay. Says, That's the marker. There's uh, the first Billy the Fish. Uh, I'm going to hit it again, and I'm going to take a, a quick uh, break. Uh, i got to check on family stuff. Uh, and then uh, I'll be uh, uh, maybe we'll come back and do some uh, uh, hack the box or something. Kitty says, Jessa, translated from Estonian. Jess says, Hi, Jess. Nori Noiki, one Angi. No. Here's the second one. Hi, Theo. Raspberry Pi Supercomputer says, I'll be back here in a minute, Raspberry Pi. <laughs> 